Therefore, off went Jackie Smolders, carrying Jimmy's initiation tooth, wrapped in clean flower cloth, and carried in the left pocket, away from the sevenpence that belonged to the right pocket, and might be infected with malchance. It must be said that although Jackie Smolders was alcoholic, and knew that Jimmy Blacksmith was earning wages which Jackie, as maternal uncle, could claim for liquor, his chief reason for setting out towards Waller was tribal and centred in the magical tooth. The tooth had been knocked out of Jimmy's mouth by Mungindi elders when the boy was thirteen, in 1891. So, too, he had been circumcised with stone, the incision poulticed over with chalk clay, and likewise the eyes. It is necessary to take cognizance of Jimmy Blacksmith's experience from the day of this initiation to the time in 1900 that Jackie Smolders went to Walla. When Jimmy was taken from camp for his initiation, Dulcie Blacksmith presumed him dead for the time being. The epoch-held agenda of ceremonies was kept a secret from all the women. As far as Dulcie knew, the great lizard had mashed and swallowed him, and would now give birth to him as a completed Mungindi man. He was gone for weeks. The mission station superintendent, Reverend H. J. Neville, B.A., kept asking where Jimmy was, but was not incommoded with any part of the truth. Grown Mungindi men, Jackie Smolders, for example, knew that Jimmy was hiding in the scrub close to an anabranch of the Macquarie River. Here he waited for the wound to heal and lived on possum meat. He was full of the exhilaration of tribal manhood, and the relief of finding that the lizard story was not true, to the extent of his being actually chewed or swallowed. He sang, "'Dash surprise from your eyes, my mother!' as crested parrots are dashed from the white branches of dawn. On your brow put pride as proud as Dubra the berry tree. Out of the chrysalis and out of the lizard's mouth your son comes man. Sometimes he swung the bull-roarer, lest any woman from Brentwood Mission come near. If seen by a woman during your isolation, you were hexed beyond knowing. Women in their turn were raised to fear the voice of the bull-roarer. If you twirled it now and again, you were more or less safe. Jimmy Blacksmith's initiation took place in autumn. There had been very little rain and no frost yet. The wind shifted, casual and warm, under a high Easter sun. Back at Brentwood, the Reverend H.J. Neville could have used a good boy like Jimmy for the Easter hymns. Blasted blacks, he told his wife. The best of them are likely to vanish at any time. He felt that Jimmy was a protégé, and had a sobriety none of his half-siblings possessed. The European, who had impregnated giddy, dulcie blacksmith, must have been of a pensive nature, a man who perhaps hated the vice of sleeping with black women, yet could not master it. Mr. Neville himself had often felt the distinctive pull of some slant-grinned black face. Townspeople spoke of this sin as if it were a distinctive form of immorality, substantially different from fornicating with a white woman. It was an accredited old wives' tale that by lying with blacks, a white man was gradually reduced to impotence with white women. Good Mr. Neville now reached for the butter at table, and found the flies about it as thick almost as at high summer. "'If a person could be certain,' he said a little peevishly, that he had imbued one of them with decent ambitions. 
Until Jimmy Blacksmith vanished, Mr. Neville had thought that he had a chance of bringing off the trick with eager, sober, polite Jimmy Blacksmith. The Reverend Mr. Neville had a true evangelical vocation. If he had been a student of anthropology, he would have been less baffled before his fly-blown butter dish at Easter, 1891. Anthropology was a word he had never heard. It was, as well, a two-way traffic, demanding a specialised white awareness and talkative natives. Jimmy felt it would have been bad-mannered to upset Mr. Neville by being talkative about initiation. Since the boy's disappearance, Mr. Neville had taken to cutting even more notifications of vacant ministries out of the Methodist Church Times. All over the little weatherboard manse were mislaid small squares of newsprint, proposing pastorages, anchorages from the Riverina to...